Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Spirit and the power of the Lord. I want him to know that uh, that he's not tolerated in this house, that he is anticipated in this house. And we are honored to have all of you in the house of the Lord today. I want you to join me in the book of Exodus and then just keep your Bibles in your hand, in your lap. And we're going to make a journey here this morning. And, uh, We'll just kind of see how things go, and if I can't get finished in the first service, I'll just finish in the second service. Fire gets hot enough, we'll just keep going <laughs> and finish when we see the checkered flag, and uh, I, I appreciate the tolerances that all of our other leadership allows us in that regard sometimes. What kind of just seems cute may be a real uh-oh for somebody else having to make adjustments there, but I appreciate them doing that without complaint, and uh, at least publicly without complaint. And uh, we'll just let the Lord speak something to our into our heart here today. I want us to pray as we begin our service and remember Brother and Sister High Note in Chipley. And in just a few minutes, they're one hour behind us. So in just a few minutes, they're going to be gathering the funerals for uh, Sister High Note's parents were yesterday that had to be a very sheer mountain for them as a church. And so let's just ask God to touch them somehow. Um, I'm not really sure exactly how you would handle something like that just except to do what you know to do and do what you normally do. And so we'll just... Ask God to touch them today. I'm happy to see uh, Aunt Merle here this morning. And where our prayers certainly are continued. Continued prayers are with uh, her and her family. Good to have Sister Davis here today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. What a great victory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so um, I know that we have the screens and and the media and things of that nature, and we really appreciate the, the help that brings to us, but please bring your Bible to church. Amen. Amen. Bring your Bible to church. Bring one you can write in, and uh, bring some paper, and, and something may be said or something that may be born in your heart that you want to write down. And uh, so Exodus 24, the book of Exodus chapter 24, and I'm going to skip around here just a little bit in my text, but I'm doing that on purpose, and then we'll mention a few other scriptures, Exodus 24 and verse number 9, Exodus 24 and 9, the Bible says, then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, 
And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And as it were, a body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God and did eat and drink. And I think we have to keep in context. We know no man can see God and live, but they, they saw the presence of God, understood that God was there. And I think that is important. And the Lord said unto Moses, not unto these, but unto Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. Now if you will drop down to verse number 18. The Bible says, And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. One more passage, and that is Exodus 32. 32, Exodus 32 and 1. Exodus 32 and 1, and the Bible says here, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out, up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And uh, I, I know I've had a lot more time to let this kind of season in my heart and soul and marinate just a little bit. But if you will stay with me this morning for just a little while, I hope with the help of God to make sense of this. But I am just so amazed at the cavalier spirit of these people that said as for this Moses as though he were a man they just met yesterday as though he were just some casual acquaintance someone they met in a town cafe somewhere we, we want not the word what means no we know not we don't even know what happened Today I want to talk to you, my subject is this, the danger of compromise, but I really, to be honest with you, have just had to select a, a title because I want to touch on many points, if that be all right. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord, and thank you for standing in honor to his word. Exodus 32 is the story of the children of Israel, and quite frankly, in this 32nd chapter, their rapid descent back to idol worship after Moses left their midst. To give just a little background, and I, I realize in an, in an adult class, for the most part, I'm sort of, as they say, preaching to the choir, but for the sake of everyone involved, let's just give a little background. We read in Exodus 32 that Moses had left them. He wasn't just on vacation. He didn't just say, I've had enough, I need to take a few days and unwind. 
But Moses had been gone for some time, but he went to receive the commandments of the Lord. And if I may add, not, not to get ahead of myself, that this experience of Moses and God in the mountain as it began to unfold in the 19th chapter of Exodus, as you begin to read from Exodus 19 all the way through, we understand that, that what happened here did not necessarily happen in a vacuum. This was not just... Moses walking along one day and God stepping out from behind a tree and kind of just pointing, you know, just saying, follow me. But there were many other people that were involved at least to the measure that they knew that God and Moses were up to something divine, incredibly divine. It was Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders that were privy to the fact that God had been meeting with Moses and that something divine was unfolding in their midst. And uh, I know that these men were not on the mountain as we read about at this particular point in time, but I'm talking about the events that led up to this moment. They realized that Moses was a man that was on a very significant spiritual journey But God was not just trying to deliver Moses. God was trying to deliver them. (laughs) And so this was not a God-Moses thing. But God was delivering the children of Israel, had already delivered them out of Egypt, and God was now in the process of fulfilling a promise of taking them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. Moses has been gone for some time, and with the absence of Moses, the people grew impatient. And they go to Aaron and they ask him to make them other gods. We need something that will sustain us in the absence of this man, Moses. Now, from what we can gather in Scripture, and I don't want to sound too harsh or cruel or judgmental, but I'm just all that we can surmise and derive from Scripture is that apparently Moses did not even, I mean, Aaron did not even hesitate at this request. In Exodus 32 and 2, the Bible says, And Aaron said unto them, You know, if that's what you want, then break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people stripped themselves of their earrings that was in their ears and brought them to Aaron. The Bible says that he received the gold and from that molded a calf. And when he finished the idol, listen to what they said. Their response to this, and this is all in your Bible, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What? 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 Moses is oblivious to what's going on because God has taken him to the mountain with a spiritual experience that is going to forever impact not just this group of people, but Moses is receiving instruction that will forever impact mankind from this day forward. None will ever be the same again. Moses leaves to go talk with God, and now all of a sudden this is what brought us up out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, 
I'm talking about the absence of real leadership. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And then Aaron made the following proclamation. It's important to notice this. He said, tomorrow is the feast. This is found in verses five and six. Tomorrow is the feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow, watch this, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, if we drop down to verse number 15, in this same chapter, when we drop down to verse number 15, Moses is enthralled in this spiritual experience God has with his very finger written in the stone, his commandments, and many other things that transpired. Many other things happened besides just the Ten Commandments. But many other things inspired were, were inspired by the hand of God and by the mouth of God. And then in verse number 15, that all-seeing eye of God was not only with Moses on top of the mountain, but God was watching what was going down at the base of the mountain. In verse number 15, God has to interrupt church. I'm just using our vernacular here. God has to interrupt church and say, Moses, you might better get down off the mountain because you got problems in the camp. So Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tables of stone in his hand. At some point, Joshua either joined him in this journey or Joshua was there all alone. Amen. But here is what Joshua said as they were coming down the mountain. There is a noise of war in the camp. Now Joshua was a man of war and so it was just kind of obvious and evident that Joshua would, would, would sort of, that would be his natural bent and so when he heard a calamity down the mountain, he said there is a noise of war. However, in verse number 18, as they got closer, Moses said, it is not the shout of victory, nor is this the cry of defeat, but what I hear is singing. I hear singing in the camp. So as they come down near the camp, they saw now the calf and the dancing. And Moses became so angry that he threw down the tables of stone and broke them. And before we judge him very harshly, I think we need to keep it all in context. This did not happen in a vacuum. This did not happen alone. They understood for a long time that God that God has been dealing with the man that has brought them out of Egypt. He has received instructions of the Lord. The mountain has been full of the presence and the power of God. I mean, just how disconnected would you have to be from the whole process? How disconnected would you have to be from the whole process to miss that God is doing something significant in our midst? Now, I, I, I want to really press something into your spirit today, and that is this, that while I do believe that in this hour we need anointed leadership, we need anointed leaders, but can I also tell you that we need anointed followers. Amen. We don't need a bunch of people that just have uh, the proverbial sucker in their mouth, lollipop in their mouth, they're just kind of walking along, follow the leader. No, 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 no. We need anointed leaders. We need anointed mouthpieces. We need the power of God to speak into the hearts and the minds of 
people that have been ordained and chosen by God to lead, but we also need men and women in the congregation that have that same sensitivity to the Spirit of God. You may not be on the mountain, you may not understand, and it may not be you that sees the finger of God, but there needs to be enough discernment in our spirit to realize something significant is taking place in our midst and we need to hold on something very significant. So Moses became angry and so angry. I'll just kind of highlight what Moses did. Moses was kind of like some of the parents that, you know, some of the parents of yesteryear. Oh, you want a calf? I'll give you one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to be so sick of this calf every time you see a cow, you're going, your, your stomach's going to turn over. Every time somebody sets down a steak on a plate, you're going to, oh, vegetables for me. You want a calf? I'll give you a calf. And so the Bible says that Moses took the calf, which they had made, he burned it with fire, he ground it to powder, he mixed it with water, and made them drink it. You want a calf? I'll give you a calf. <laughs> I'm kind of having flashbacks of my childhood here just a moment. <laughs> you want to pitch a fit? Well, we'll pitch a fit. Just, it was almost like it was good news to my mom. You want to you get down the floor of all around? Let's get down together and roll around. So Moses throws down the, the law and he breaks it and he says, I'll give you what you want. And Moses now turns his attention where it should have been turned. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Moses wasn't willing to just rebuke the followers. But when they had finished drinking the calf, or the ashes of the calf, he said, I want to know what happened. Who... Who got to you? Who got in your head? Who got in your ear? Who, who got in your heart? What was it that, that jaded your spirit to the point that you would lead them and bring such a great sin upon them? And Aaron, he tries to weasel out of it in verses 21 and 22. He said, well, don't blame me. You know the people, their minds just set on evil. What a weakling. What a weakling to say, well, it was them. I mean, doesn't that sound like Saul a little bit later? Well, it was them. They wanted to do this. And we're always trying to find somebody to point it on. They said, make us gods that will go before us. And they said, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, listen what they said. We don't even know what's become of him. And somehow, in all of their pity, Aaron, too, lost sight of what God was doing in their midst. Now, I think this was a great opportunity for Aaron, and can I speak to some Aaron's in the house today? This was a great opportunity for Aaron to let them know where Moses was and remind them of what he was doing. Amen. Can I speak to some Aaron's today that when some, when some pitiful stories come your way, you need to be in touch with God. Amen, in touch with what God is doing in the kingdom and in touch with what God is doing in the local church and just say, wait a minute. Amen, wait a minute, amen. But it gets even more bizarre. In the 24th chapter, in the 24th chapter, I said unto them, whatsoever hath any gold, let them break it all. So they gave it to me and, and, and I cast it in the fire. And here's what Aaron said. You know, it's amazing how, how, 
how much people try to just blow something off and just try to explain it all away. Aaron, are you even reading your own notes? Are you listening to what you're saying? He said, well, they came to me with this and I just told them, well, if you got any gold, just break it off. And they gave it to me and I cast in the fire and there came out this calf. Really? That's how it happened. That's how it happened. They did Let's repeat that. They just gave you their earrings. You threw them in the fire and this calf come walking out of the fire. Marvelous. It's in your book. I'm not making this up as I go. It just came out. It just came out. How irresponsible because Aaron was not just a Johnny come lately. Aaron was obviously a man who had plain speech but he must have been a very weak man. When it came to his backbone, it just came out. There is so much of this story, and so I'm going to have to really be really intentional to stay on course. But remember now, these people, the Israelites, had clearly seen God work in tangible ways. I want to make that just abundantly clear that these are, this is not a group of people that read some stuff in a book. These are not the, this is not a group of people that just went to the library and they read about what God had done for their forefathers and in their past. But we're talking about people with their very eyes that had watched the hand of God over and over and over and over and over again. It all started in Egypt when Moses said, let my people go. And they watched plague after plague after plague come from God upon Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. They were, this, was, this is they that were a part of the command where the Lord said, you're not gonna leave Egypt empty-handed. But he said, I want you to borrow. I want you to ask for the gold and the silver and the raiments and I want you to put that on the shoulders of your children because when we come out, we're coming out with a high hand. Amen, and when we get to the Red Sea and we don't know what to do, Moses extended the rod and they walked across. And I, I don't want to just try to do this one at a time. Amen, nor in chronological order for you, but what I'm trying to say is that they were there. They experienced it. The dust, the dust of the bed of the Red Sea was still lodged in their garment. They were the ones that tasted the bitter water and then found it sweet. They were the ones that were gathering manna in the mornings. They saw miracle after miracle how God took care of them. He led them in the day with a cloud. He led them at night with a fire. But look how fickle their faith was. Sometimes people say, you know, we just need more miracles. If somebody really got healed or somebody really rose from the dead, boy, that would make the church grow. Amen. If we could just see more miracles, that would increase our faith. Please don't misunderstand me. I would love to see more miracles and I'm not speaking against them. Please, please hear me today. But if we think that miracles single-handedly is going to solidify our faith to the point of not compromising, we are kidding ourselves. Amen. It will not strengthen your faith to the degree that you think. I'll tell you what I'm hungry for. 
Amen, I'd like to see some miracles, but I'll tell you what I'm really hungry for, and I know what I'm about to say is gonna go against the name and claim it crowd, but what I'm hungry to see is Holy Ghost-filled men and women, amen, that just get up and live their salvation in the real world. That's what I'm hungry for. <laughs> if somebody gets their healing here this morning in this service, only those that are in this service are gonna see that. But if we'll all get up off of our pew and walk out into our Monday morning and live what we profess. Amen. If we'll live what we profess, look how many testimonies there are in this house today. Not just an isolated incident here, not an isolated incident there, but I'm telling you what God needs is some anointed men and women. Amen. That say, I am not just going to shout about this on Sunday. I'm going to live this on Monday. I'm going to live this on Tuesday. I'm going to go to bed holy. I'm going to wake up holy. Hallelujah. I'm going to love him in the morning. I'm going to love him at noon. I'm going to love him at the stroke of midnight. That will change our world. That will change our world. Amen. That's what I'm hungry to see. The children of Israel saw countless miracles, but the end result of all of that was just shallow faith. As soon as Moses disappeared, they they turned to something else. And I just want to give you some food for thought today. Essentially, they said to Aaron, we don't even know what happened to Moses. As for this Moses, we don't even know. And so I, I want to very pastorally this morning say to you, in a time of spiritual transition, don't lose sight spiritually of your spiritual leader. Because from time to time, God may have to take a spiritual leader to a mountain. I feel this in the Holy Ghost now. Amen. We are a church in transition. And so I want to specifically speak to this congregation and tell you that you need to keep your eyes on the spiritual leadership of this church. And I will just put this side note in here. I say this under the fear of God. I say this with the same humility that the apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not trying to get you to sip Kool-Aid for my benefit. What I'm trying to tell you to do is that we must not get so caught up in the things of this world that we lose sight of what God may be doing spiritually in our midst. Church is more than just a few songs. Church is more than just a shout here or there. Church is more than just prayer and laying on the hands. Church Amen. Church is something that we must realize has got to be a part of our lives. Amen. A part of our lives. May I, may I just address something today? Amen. There are people in our world and not a few that says, ain't no man going to tell me what to do. That's the spirit of our age. I understand some of that is born out of hurt. Some of that is born out of seasons of prior disillusionment and on and on and on. But let me tell you what happens. When you remove man from the process, you remove God. Because God has chosen to work through man. Right down to healing. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. They're gonna anoint you with oil. They're gonna pray a prayer of faith. 
If you've committed any sins, they're gonna be forgiven and God's gonna heal you. Amen. But God used man. But God doesn't just use oil to heal in scripture. Another time, the Bible talks about the shadow of Peter. Am I, am I in the book? I, I'm not sure how it all played out. I'll just give you my version and you can accept it or reject it. It doesn't matter. And I, I don't mean that. Smart like I'm just saying that, that somehow or another they caught on that the shadow of Peter was touching the people's lives that were sick. And they knew what time Peter was going to the house to pray. They knew where the sun was going to be when Peter come along to pray. They knew which way the shadow was going to be pointing. I just suspect that there were times they lined people up here and said, hey man, you just stand right here because in a few minutes there's a, there is a, there's a man coming. There's a man. It was a shadow that healed him, but it took a man to cast the shadow. So before you just wrap your arms around the idea that no man is gonna tell me what to do, let me tell you that God has always taken a man, mankind. God has always worked through mankind. We give out, we, we, we pray over prayer calls, but do you know where those prayer calls come from? You know what, this, this is all a scripture out of the book of Acts. Amen, it was the garment of, it was the garment of what? A mule? was a garment of a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And they cut strips of his garment off and they sent that as a point of contact. Amen. So follow me as I follow Christ. Is this too much? We need to keep our eyes on spiritual leadership, but we need to be anointed ourselves as well. So I'm not trying to portray to you some Pied Piper situation where we just dance because somebody's playing. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying, God, help me to feel what that man feels. Help me to feel what the leadership feels. God, help me to be in touch. Help me to be in tune. Help me, God, to get on the same plane. Isn't that what Ehud said? He said, if your heart is right with my heart, then I want you to get up in this chariot with me and see my zeal for the Lord. I'm gonna tell you, if we'll get our heart right with the heart of the leadership, we could get in the same chariot and see the same thing. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I don't know what the problem would have been. Maybe they assessed Moses too spiritual, too high, lofty. Maybe they just wanted a little religion. Perhaps they desired to lower their standard of spirituality so they could appeal to the senses of the modern age. Maybe they were turned off by something that seemed to demand too much from them. That seems to be where we are in America today. Amen. So they turned to Aaron. I find, I find all of this extremely confusing because as great of an example as Moses was, as clear cut of a man that would not compromise his values, Aaron turned out to be the exact opposite and yet that's who they followed because Aaron appealed to their, their flesh. Some people... Sometimes think if we would just lower our standards and please, I'm begging you to run past the clothesline with me here when I talk about standards. Amen. That's part of it, but run past that with me. Would you do that? Some people think if we lower our personal convictions that and just kind of go along with the masses that we'll reach the world. 
But I'm going to tell you something. A, that's not true. And history is replete with the bones of many that have gone before us that said, if we do this, this will fill up this. And it has not happened. It has not happened. But here's another danger that once you stop comprom- once you start compromising, when it's all said and done, your witness will not be worth nothing. It will be worth nothing. Amen. There is no greater example of this in all of the Bible, in my opinion, than that of the man Lot. He first pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in time, Sodom and Gomorrah was not always what we read about it in the end. Sodom and Gomorrah once represented great strength and, 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 and great business and, and, and agility. Sodom and Gomorrah represented something very worthwhile. That's why Jude mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah when he refers to Sodom turning. And so he was talking about don't put your faith in institutions. Well, if he, he wasn't talking about the Sodom and Gomorrah of the end. He was talking about the Sodom and Gomorrah of the beginning. Amen. And so, and so he first pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he moved to Sodom. But in time, the city was turned into full-scale perversion. And sadly, Lot didn't seem to know what to do. Now, this is the same man that walked with his uncle. (laughs) This is the same man that had walked under the umbrella of the promises of God. Please don't ever forget this simple illustration. I mentioned this to somebody this week. When you add dirty water to clean water, you don't make the dirty water clean. You make the clean water dirty. And that's a principle we can ill afford to forget even if we think that we're going to just lower the wire down and then everything will just somehow come out in the wash it will not happen in Genesis 19 and 12 when the angels finally came to deliver Lot and his family look what he did I want us to just take one snippet and look at one passage of scripture of what Lot did his first response and how it was perceived go with me to to Genesis 19 and 14, if you will. All right, let's follow along on the screen at least. And the Bible says, and Lot went out. This is right after verse 12 where the angels came to get him out and his family. His response, and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law. Now you gotta remember, they were from Sodom. They were Sodomites. They didn't really see the ill of what's going on anyway because this is home. Amen. So he went out to his own sons-in-laws which had married his daughters and said, get up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. Lot comes with this burning message. We got to get out. But look at how it was perceived. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He said, you got to get out. There's an impending judgment that's coming. But the Bible says that that he was perceived as one who mocked. In other words, the word mock there means joking. He, he was just a joker. Amen. He was someone that you did, they didn't even take serious. Amen. They didn't believe one word that he said. Where did all this happen? Amen. Lot had so seriously compromised his witness until they of his own household could not imagine that he would be trying to tell them how to live. 
Amen. Can I speak to some mamas and daddies here this morning? You can't just live to the wind. And then when your children run off track, say, hey, you can't live like that whenever we have completely lost our own witness. And they say, who are you to be telling me? And as a church, can I tell you that we can't compromise who we are to the point that we tell the world, you gotta get right, you gotta get right because they're gonna look at us as one that's just a mocker and say, who are you? And so how are we gonna preserve our witness? We're gonna preserve our witness by not going to the pool of compromise. I'm gonna stay up here. I'm gonna pitch my life here. I'm gonna build my house here. Not holier than now, not better than now, but I'm gonna tell you that people have got to have something to work toward. They got to have something to live toward. Praise God. My heart's heavy today. My heart's heavy today. I I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I, I did not intend to share this, but it's just on my heart and I will. Amen. I have more than one, but I have a personal friend who years ago began to just compromise here and there. My wife and I would go and preach for them occasionally and uh, every 18 months or so, and it just seemed like almost every time we visited, things were just kind of more and more going left and going left and going left and going left. And, and, and I, I found it amazing that the whole time we were there, that the, instead of just kind of having a normal fellowship, the whole time they were there, they felt like they had to defend their newfound position. I finally said, among many other things, but one day I said this. I said, look, I don't mind working with anyone, anywhere, as long as we're working toward something. Is this all right? Some of you look like you showed up at the wrong church today. (laughs) Looking around. Somebody GPS this address, make sure I pulled into the right lot. It doesn't matter what walks through that door as long as we as a church realize we're working toward something. Some people may call that compromise. I know that. I've been called a compromiser way more than one time. But I'm going to tell you, you better build some tolerances in. And there is a difference between tolerance and compromise. Amen. And so we need to bring some tolerances into that and so we're just gonna, we're gonna do this but we're working toward something. There is a goal. And that's why the church must remain the church. I'm gonna give you an age old illustration you've heard me talk about many, many times. I've always said that every church needs a shallow end of the pool. Amen, somewhere where people can learn how to swim, where the wounded can get in the water, but maybe they're not ready for the deep end. But here's what we don't need to happen, and here's what happens all the time. But we don't need this to happen, and if it's happening, we need this, it is happening, so we need for it to stop happening. We need the church to stay in the deep end and quit migrating down here to the shallow end. Amen. Let the church just be the church because once you start compromising, you lose your witness. Amen. You lose your witness. 
Amen. You know what happens when we err in our convictions? We lose our power of rebuke. Amen. If you had to go bail me out of jail this morning, just so that I could show up to preach to you today, well, how seriously do you think anybody would be taking, especially a message like this? <laughs> what? You have got amnesia? You're standing here, you just got a DUI with liquor on your breath, you're gonna tell us how to live right? I lost my power of rebuke. Amen. I'm not. I'm talking about me, so you'll be a little bit more comfortable than you are right now. I'm just going to talk about me. But when we compromise our values, we lose our power of rebuke. And I hope you're not taking that word out of context. But I'm telling you what the world needs is a witness. That somebody that says you can overcome. You can fall and get up. You can make a mistake and turn around. You can stumble and stand back up. Amen. Amen. You can. You can. You can. But Lot, when he ran to his sons-in-laws, they laughed him away because they said, who is this mocking man? A mocking man. Who is this mocking man? Amen, you may be seated with a plight. The plight of someone who compromises their testimony is ultimately you reach no one. That is the danger of just fitting in the crowd. I understand, I'm just, oh man, I, <laughs> my mind is just going so many different ways. I know what it's like to walk in a room and feel unwelcome. I do. I know what it's like to show up at events and it really put a damper on things. It's truth. You can leave your violin in the case. I'm not asking for sympathy. Please play no music softly. But I know what it's like to walk in and people shuffle around and have to hide stuff. There have been more than one occasion over the years that my wife and I looked at one another and said, we just ought to leave so they can enjoy the rest of this evening. I was in a restaurant one time. Now, I know this person real well, so don't think I would just do this to anybody. But I was in a restaurant one time. I was out of town at a funeral, and there was a backslidden member of a family that was there that, that, uh, that we know each other. And so she didn't know we were in the restaurant because they were seated in the back. We were seated in the front. And so it was a no-smoking restaurant. And so in just a little while, I saw her and some of her friends. They stepped outside, and they were all smoking a cigarette. And I just couldn't resist it. They didn't know I was on the planet. And I just walked to the door and I opened the door and I stuck my head out and I said, you may smoke it, but you won't enjoy this one. I think I would have ate it. That's just how I think I would have responded. I think I would have swallowed it whole, fire and all. They just kind of laughed, kept smoking. 
Testament. We've got to be very careful. I know, I know what I, I said all that not to be cute. I said all that to say that I know what it feels like to think, you know, if I just tweak my life a little bit, I could, I could be welcome in this atmosphere. I know what it to feel that. To get weary with being the one that just harses everybody's mellow. But then I realize there's a call on my life. Ezekiel, I need you to go and stand whether anybody stands with you or not. I need you to preach and give an altar call whether anybody comes forth or not. Why? Because in eternity I need there to be a prophet in their midst. I need somehow, some way for them to know that you are given an opportunity, you are given a chance. I'm preaching, I know, very straight, very strong to you this morning, but I'm gonna tell you the danger of compromise is that we will lose our witness. If you think the world really wants you to join them, you're wrong. They want you, they desire you. Hear me today. Amen. They desire you. I've had one too many midnight phone calls that said, don't, whatever you do, don't change. Whatever you do, don't stop preaching it. Amen. I, I think I've, I'm pretty sure I probably told this at some point through the years and it's been a long time ago and nobody that was involved in that is even here today. So I'll just share this. I remember one Wednesday night that I was teaching and I was teaching pretty, pretty straight. When I got through preaching, I'm going to tell you the devil moved in my brain. And I went to my office, and there was one person here that the enemy highlighted. And well, you you you've offended them. You you have wounded them. You well, you've done it now. I went to my office and I had me the longest, saddest pity part of you. I'm just being honest. Because it is not my nature to try to hurt people regardless of what you may think or say. That is not my nature to try to do something to be arrogant and cavalier. I went to my office and I just wanted to make sure everybody was gone. I just, I didn't want to see anybody. I just, and finally... I, Finally, I had, I had ridden with my wife to church that night and just told her to go on, and I just walked home, and it's when we lived in our mobile home here between where we live now. And when, and when I walked up on the porch, we had a little front porch. When I walked up on the front porch, the person that I thought would be the most offended was sitting on my porch. They had been sitting there the whole time, well over an hour. Maybe closer to two hours. And when I stepped up on my porch, the tears running down their face, they said, I know I don't live it, but please don't stop preaching it. Amen. I want to tell you, I felt ever, forever indebted to a person that would just stay and say, I got to tell this shepherd one thing. I got to tell him one thing. She may have picked up on the fact that the enemy was in my office. He was just beating the thunder out of me. I'm talking about the danger of compromise. Amen. If our musicians will come, I'll just finish. I've got way too much to do to try to finish this now. But I just asked this question today, and maybe this will be a good stopping point for now. 
If we look back at Exodus 32, I just, I, yesterday I just couldn't help but to ask myself this question. How different would this story have been if Aaron had just taken a stand? If Aaron had just settled their nerves and said, no, wait a minute now, wait, wait. This Moses you're referring to, don't forget what God has used him to do in our life. This Moses that you're referring to that you think has just disappeared, don't you remember the cloud? I mean, don't you think among, I know these folks weren't there, but I mean, there was Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders. Don't you think a little bit of chatter was in the camp? This didn't happen on its own. What if Aaron had said, Moses, Moses is gone, but he's coming back. He's coming back. We got to just stay steady. We got to, what if Aaron had just said, be still, we're not making any calves. We're not. It would have put an end to the whole matter. But instead, Aaron says, just bring me all of this and, and here's something. Here's what five, verses 5 and 6 say. Bring it, talking about the gold. He said, bring it and we will give it as an offering. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. There's two offerings that are mentioned here. But somewhere conspicuously absent in all of these offerings is the sin offering. <laughs> the sin offering. In other words, we're going to do what we want to do. We'll give a little over here. We'll give a little over here. Just religious rituals. And, and perhaps God will be okay. I feel a soberness in this spirit, soberness of, in this house. But they somehow left off the sin offering because they have a warped concept of God. And if that is not the hour in which we're living today, I don't know what describes it. Praise God. Let's stand. Let's stand. I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. I, I, I need your help today. We, I know we're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord. But will you do us a favor? Will you just make a covenant to say, I'm going to reconnect. I'm going to reconnect to this in just a few moments. Amen. And we're going to let the Spirit of God speak something into our heart. Let's lift our hands and pray together. Can we do that? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.